0: You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. This week's episode is the second in our three-part series on the history of alchemy and the Philosopher's Stone. Each episode is designed to stand on its own, but if you want the whole story and you haven't listened to the last episode, you might want to pause here, go back, and give it a listen. And with that, let's get on with the show. In the legends of King Arthur and his court at Camelot, Percival, a Knight of the Round Table, comes across the Fisher King. The King is the last in a long royal line, but he's grievously wounded, unable to father children or rule his kingdom. He is unable to do anything but spend the day fishing and waiting for a noble knight to find a cure. The King's illness infects the land itself, His own infertility echoed in his barren kingdom. Some versions say that his cure is unknown. In other versions, the knight who serves him must find the Holy Grail, the cup used by Jesus at the Last Supper said to possess the power of miraculous healing. The story is, of course, a legend, meant to be an allegory of power, masculinity, and the importance of succession. And while the legend is fictional, The anxieties it expresses were very real. By the end of the Middle Ages, England would have its own Fisher King. Henry VI of the House of Lancaster ascended England's throne as an infant. He was only nine months old when his father, Henry V, died of a sudden illness. Along with the rule of England, the boy king also inherited a claim to the throne of France and with it, the Hundred Years' War, a dispute over the king of England's right to the French throne that bankrupted both nations and devastated the French countryside. As Henry came of age, his council determined that marriage to a French princess might cement the king's foreign connections and secure a peace a rebellion of French nobles against their own monarch in 1440 seemed to offer England an opening. As rebellion raged in France and the young King Henry grew into his power, suspicion that he would take a French bride led nobles in England to speculate on the nature and the length of Henry's reign. One of these was Eleanor Cobham. Of all the noble women in 15th century England, Eleanor is a relatively obscure figure. At the age of 22, she became lady-in-waiting to the Duchess of Gloucester. A few years later, she became the Duke of Gloucester's mistress. And, once he managed to annul his marriage to the Duchess, Eleanor became his new bride. she had always had an interest in astrology and the occult, And, according to charges later brought against her, she hired a pair of astrologers to consult with spirits and divine her future, and, by extension, the future of King Henry's reign. The astrologers, Thomas Southwell and Roger Bolingbroke, predicted that King Henry would suffer a grave illness, possibly a fatal one, in summer of 1441. Eleanor was elated. Henry's death would make her husband king and her queen of England. Unfortunately, a prediction this earth-shaking couldn't be kept secret for long. Words soon reached the king and his council. They arrested Southwell and Bolingbroke on charges of necromancy, but not before consulting with their own astrologers, who assured the king that Southwell and Bolingbroke's prediction was false. If they saw how Henry's reign would actually end, they kept it to themselves. Under interrogation, Bolingbroke named Eleanor, who had already fled to sanctuary in Westminster Abbey. While in sanctuary, she was questioned by a panel of judges and confessed to obtaining potions to help her conceive a child from an herbalist named Marjorie Jourdemain. The judges found Eleanor and all three of her accomplices guilty of treason. Southwell died while in custody in the Tower of London. Bolingbroke was hanged, drawn, and quartered, and Jourdemain was burnt at the stake as a witch. Eleanor was condemned to perform three acts of public penance, in which she, bareheaded and dressed in black, walked through the streets of London, offering a candle at the three major churches, St. Paul's Cathedral, Christchurch, and St. Michael's. Her public humiliation ended her existence in public altogether. While Eleanor escaped execution, her marriage to the Duke was dissolved, and she was condemned to spend the rest of her life in prison. When in 1443 a woman in Kent scolded King Henry for his treatment of Eleanor as he passed through the city, he had the anonymous woman arrested and executed. In his play, Henry VI, Part Two. William Shakespeare includes Eleanor Cobham and her accomplices as a warning to avoid the temptations of sorcery. In Act 1, Scene 4, Bolingbroke and Margaret Jourdemain meet with the Duchess and conjure a spirit to foretell the future, and are discovered by the Dukes of York and Buckingham.
1: Father Jordan, be you prostrate and grovel on the earth. John Southwell, read you and let us to our work. Wizards know their times. Deep night, dark night, the silent of the night time of night when troy was set on fire the time when screech owls cry and bandogs howl and spirits walk and ghosts break up their graves that time best fits the work we have in hand Madam, sit you and fear not. Whom we raise, we will make fast within a hallowed verge. te per ineffabile <clears> nomen, tetragrammaton, quod in carta in scriptum observas quid santissimi huius nominus virtute exactissimam in momente mihi prestes obedientiam in queste fraude falacia de vocazione prestente hoc salvatore nostro omnipotentissimo qui ad cerrimus in tremendo die ultimo iu ex et meus et duos et <laughs> Asmith, by the eternal God, whose name and power though trembles,
0: that answer that I shall ask. For till thou speak, thou shalt not pass from hence. <laughs>
1: First of the king, what shall of him become? Oh. and the burning lake. False fiend of void. Lay hands upon these traitors and their trash. Beldum, I think we watched you at an inch. What, madam, are you there? The king and commonweal are deeply indebted for this piece of pains. My lord protector will, I doubt it not, see you well guerdoned for these good deserts. Away with them. Let them be clapped up close and kept asunder. You, madam, shall with us. Stafford, take her to thee.
0: After a decade of imprisonment, Eleanor died in a castle in Wales in 1452. She missed seeing her astrologer's prediction that Henry would suffer a terrible illness by a matter of months. When he finally reached maturity, Henry did, in fact, marry a French princess, Margaret of Anjou, giving him a further claim to lands and castles in France. The marriage, meant to secure a peace between England and France, did just the opposite. The pious King Henry and his ambitious queen had not yet managed to produce an heir, creating unrest in both England and France. Henry's forces lost the region of Aquitaine, held by the English crown for 300 years. And in August of 1453, a messenger brought even more devastating news. English troops had lost the entire region of Bordeaux, leaving the port city of Calais as the only English holding left in France. On hearing the news, Henry fell into a stupor. No one could wake the king. He could neither walk nor speak. Physicians had to feed the king by force. The queen summoned the king's physician, William Hatcliffe. They treated him with the usual remedies bleeding, cupping, purging but nothing worked. Already pregnant before Henry fell ill, the queen gave birth to a son, Edward. But even news of the arrival of his son and heir would not wake the king. For months, Queen Margaret and her allies managed to keep the extent of the king's illness a secret, hiding him away in remote Windsor Castle, and giving out that the king, always known for his piety, was on religious retreat. But in spring of 1454, a delegation of lords decided to visit the king at Windsor to get his advice on matters of state. What they saw horrified them the king gave no indication that he could see or hear his visitors. He could sit up only with assistance, let alone stand and walk. With the king incapacitated and the crown prince only an infant, the man next in line for the throne, Richard, Duke of York, seized power, convincing the lords in Parliament to name him Lord Protector of England. Richard recommended that Queen Margaret and her closest allies... Be sent to care for the king at Windsor Castle and remain there. While the king, the queen, and their former court languished in the countryside, York's supporters laid the groundwork to shift the rule of England permanently to Richard. While the prince was still too young to reign, Richard would serve as regent. And if something should happen to the prince in the meantime, well, children were fragile and Richard was proving to be a capable leader in his own right. Queen Margaret was outraged and made plans to gather an army of her own in order to defend her son's claim to the crown. Then, just before Christmas of 1454, the king woke after nearly a year and a half. He said he remembered nothing of the preceding seventeen months, including that his wife had given birth to a son. Despite the doubts of some of the English lords, Henry resumed the throne, unseating the Duke of York. Despite the growing enmity between Henry's Lancaster and Richard's York supporters, Henry refused to take measures to deprive Richard of power. Instead, Henry invited Richard and his supporters back to court and urged a reconciliation and an end to the tensions between the two factions. When Henry invited a select group of lords to a great council in Leicester, the uninvited Duke of York and his supporters were convinced it was to hear charges of treason against them. They summoned their forces and intercepted the king's procession at St. Albans. York demanded that the king surrender his favorite, the Earl of Somerset, to be executed for treason. The king refused and the York army attacked. Henry's forces were caught unprepared, trusting that York would never dare attack the king, and several of the king's favorite lords and strongest supporters were killed. The war between the houses of Lancaster and York had begun. The conflicts that followed are known collectively as the Wars of the Roses, after the sigils of the two houses, the Red Rose of Lancaster and the White Rose of York. The Battle of St. Albans was too much for the frail King Henry. His wits left him again. Once again, his physician Hatcliffe was called to care for the king, and again, nothing seemed to help. The king was incapable of ruling at the worst time, as the York faction gained support and strength. In 1456, Hatcliffe became one of twelve petitioners to beg that they be given license to use alchemy to find a cure for the king. Alchemy had been outlawed in England since King Henry's grandfather, Henry IV, issued the Act Against Multiplication in January of 1404. The act specifically outlawed the creation of gold or silver from thin air, Out of fear of destabilizing the kingdom's coinage. But its interpretation had been extended to all forms of alchemy, which had come to be synonymous with sorcery. The petition, asking that the king and his privy council legalize the practice of alchemy for the sake of the king's health, offers a defense of alchemy and the hope of a cure. The sages and most famous philosophers of ancient
1: times have taught that many glorious and noteworthy medicines can be made from wine, precious stones, oils, vegetables, animals, metals, and certain minerals, and especially a most precious medicine, which some have called the mother of philosophers and empress of medicines. Others have named it the inestimable glory. Others, indeed, have named it the quintessence the Philosopher's Stone, and the elixir of life, a medicine whose virtue would be so efficacious and admirable that all curable infirmities would be easily cured by it.
0: The Philosopher's Stone is alchemy's greatest achievement. Said to be an elixir that could complete the transformation of base metals like lead into silver or gold, it was thought to provide healing and the restoration of youthful vigor if mixed with wine and consumed. The first mention of the philosopher's stone appears in documents originating in late antique Egypt, where Persian, Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, and Roman traditions blended together to help create the discipline of alchemy in the West. From its inception, the stone was thought to be a panacea, a substance capable of curing any ailment. What else could save England's Fisher King but the philosopher's stone? The alchemist's holy grail. But not even alchemy could help Henry's physicians. The king's illness persisted, his wits waxed and waned like the moon, and by 1461, Hatcliffe had joined the York cause. When Richard, Duke of York, was killed, York's supporters helped his son to gain the throne, naming him King Edward IV. After the Yorkists captured Henry in July of 1465, they kept him prisoner in the Tower of London. When King Edward's enemies briefly overthrew him, they put the befuddled King Henry back on the throne. But when Edward and his supporters rose up in turn, Henry's son, the Prince of Wales, was killed in battle. Edward and his men marched into London on the 21st of May, 1470, and Henry, locked in the tower once more, died suddenly and mysteriously that same night. The Wars of the Roses, also called the Cousins' War, was just beginning. Lancaster supporters gathered behind Henry's closest living relative, a young boy named Henry Tudor. When Edward IV died of a sudden illness, his younger brother seized the throne by force to become the infamous King Richard III. This new Richard would meet his end at the Battle of Bosworth Field, His crown would be seized and presented to the young Henry Tudor, who would become King Henry VII. His dynasty, continued by his son, Henry VIII, would rule England for over a century, and his granddaughter, Elizabeth I, would oversee an economic and cultural flourishing that some have called England's Golden Age. Henry VI's legacy remains mixed. His reputation for piety and sanctity led his subjects to flock to his tomb like pilgrims visiting the remains of a saint. The alchemy petition remains one of the most significant defenses of alchemy and one of the most complete descriptions of the nature and powers of the Philosopher's Stone. That their petition was received and granted At least three of the petitioners were given license to try to discover the stone, while Eleanor Cobham, wasted away in prison, reveals something fundamental about magic in late medieval England. Magic itself was mostly considered to be neutral. Its use was allowed as long as it was used for the benefit of the king. Used against him, or to predict his downfall, magic became treason. It also speaks to the desperation of Henry's followers and physicians that they place their hopes in something so elusive as the philosopher's stone. But that's always been the purpose of the stone. It's something to strive for, something to do when there is no other solution. It offers hope when all other hope is lost. Like the Holy Grail, the philosopher's stone represents an unattainable goal, But the point is not the grail or the stone. The point is the search, the unending quest. While King Henry was imprisoned in the tower, lost in his own world, he wrote a poem about kingship that echoes the laments of the Fisher King. Kingdoms are but cares. State is devoid of stay. Riches are ready snares and hasten to decay. Pleasure is a privy prick which vice doth still provoke. Pomp's imprompt and fame a flame, power a smoldering smoke. Who meaneth to remove the rock out of the slimy mud shall mire himself and hardly scape the swelling of the flood. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen and help spread the word by rating and reviewing Enchanted on the Apple Podcasts. This week's episode was produced by Thomas Ignatius and Corinne Wieben with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with us via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at enchantedpodcast and on Twitter at EnchantedPod. To learn more about the show or to become a supporter and help keep the magic going, please visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.